0: Hi listeners and welcome to Reasonable Necessary, a series-period podcast series on everything you ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Game. I'm your host, Dr. George Telephorus, and on today's episode, we're talking planning and complexity, and one family's journey to get great outcomes from the NDIS. You may have seen him give out some good advice on the popular Facebook page, NDIS Grassroots, or maybe you've heard him speak at a conference or workshop. He is someone who knows a lot about the NBIS, both personally and professionally. I'm pleased we're joined today by Liz Cope. Welcome, Liz, and thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you, George. It's nice to be part of the conversation.
0: So, can you tell us a bit about your journey with the NDIS, and particularly uh, what was like like before compared to how life is like now for your family?
1: Well, certainly right now, we're getting far many more supports and our son is being fully supported in pretty well, well, in everything that he's doing. Uh, Prior to the NDIS, obviously, we had to put in quite a lot of... uh, our hours ourselves and support him to get things moving. Uh, the journey before the NDS is one that sort of has captured a lot of what the industry is actually now because we've always been involved in individual planning and ensuring that he has a plan and good structures put together so that he can achieve, achieve goals and, and have good outcomes in his life.
0: Can you give us a practical uh, example of, of what's, what are some outcomes for, for your son?
1: Uh, well, right now, now we're uh, m- my wife and I are now aging. We're over, uh, over the seventy bracket, so we are aging parents. Um, we're actually now now able just to be his parents, so we can go down and visit him in his house. Uh, we can spend time with him. We can go out to activities. We can do things. Go to shows and so on. We have choices. He can come and visit us uh, when he needs to for family events, for example, Christmas and New Year's Eve and birthday parties and special family events. He can come along with his workers. And just generally be part of the group and and, and be part of the family. That's fantastic. So
0: along the way, what what problems have you encountered? And and how did you work through these problems?
1: Well, initially when we came... I'll I'll have to talk initially because that will sort of expand the problems a little bit further, I guess. Uh, Initially, he transferred early across to the NDIS because his needs were exceptionally high. He was living in an area that hadn't gone across to the NDIS as yet. So... We initiated a uh, contact with the NDIS, they sent a planner out to his house and we had a, a great planning session uh, with her and with him and uh, she worked everything out with him and she gave him everything that he needed to ensure that he had a good life. The problem that occurred though was when um, his, second, his planner came up for review, the region had come across onto the NDIS and the planner who came out absolutely did not know what she was doing she came into his house and she set up. She started as if she was setting up a whole new plan. She went through a whole testing mode of trying to test his capacity in a whole range of things, which was which was not appropriate. And it went back to the region, who then rang us several weeks later to say that his plan had had uh, was complex, and she started talking about moving out of his home into a group home, which is clearly not an option to him. Uh, which was horrible so we eventually we talked about the legislation she asked us why we hadn't actually put those bits in when we in the original planning meeting and our response was we don't we don't put bits of the legislation when we have a planning meeting because that is confrontational uh, we said that it fits within the legislation and uh, she said well we should have actually recorded that so we went down and we actually saw her three or four days later. We took down a 100-page document with the legislation and a whole range of things that explained why that was reasonable and necessary for him to be where he was. Uh, and she was then most unprofessional in such a way that she said he would be fine. She tried to tell us that he would be fine in a group home, which is just not on. Um, yeah, and
0: and let's, let's talk more uh, specifically about that legislation then, because obviously... Um, um, you're not the only person who's had this issue um, with the NDIS. We've had a lot of people who, who've had to basically um, get, uh, become lawyers or become very legalistic and, uh, and inform or educate the NDIS about the law. What, what kind of things did you
1: bring to their attention? All right, let me just, I'm just picking that up now, sorry. We have got some things in here. We picked up, there are actually three parts of the legislation that we picked them up on. Uh, the first one is the NDIS Act itself, which is Section 4, which talks about the principles. Now, in the principles, there are guiding principles that define what has to happen under the Act. Uh, I mean, in numbers, there's probably more than half a dozen little points that they make. And uh, we went through and we picked up on all those points and we, and we gave answers to why it was necessary for him in that case or as to where the Act said he had this right to do these things and the intent of the legislation. And we, we actually came across, we, we worked out aspects to, to illustrate why in fact um, he was fitting that in those principles and for them to do otherwise would have been going against the Act. So they were under principles. The second part of the Act was the, uh, where are we, I'm just scrolling down. The second part was to do principles relating to plans and that talks about. Uh, I'll just pick up on the first one, for example, um, uh, the participants' plan. So the preamble to that is that the preparation, the review, and replacement of a participants' plan, and management of the funding for supports under a participants' plan should, as far as reasonably as far as reasonably practical, and individualised, should. And then we had a response to that. We said it should be individualised. So we said. He has a holistic plan that was shared with the planner at the face-to-face meeting, and we had some appendices to back that up. And we had another point that said, individual wishes need to be heard and adhered to, and without continued pressure to change your mind or continually justify your choices.
0: Mm-hmm. And and obviously, um, that that had an impact.
1: Uh, it did have an impact. But uh, So I, I'll just go quickly through to the last one, which is probably the most important one, and I know you're going to... Talk about this at some other point, but the last one, of course, was the reasonable and necessary supports. Uh, the reasonable and necessary supports, says there's about there's, there's a number of points in regard to that, but the one that they tend to pick up on is uh, it's known it's under regional necessary support section 34.c, and that is the support represents a value for money in that the costs of the support are reasonable. Relative to the both the benefits achieved and the cost, of alternative support. So I won't go through all the responses, but certainly we we went through the process of saying that the option that we had for him were totally reasonable, and any other alternative support that might be cheaper would not have allowed him to achieve his goals. In fact, it would have been detrimental to his health and his well-being, and it could well have impacted on his whole life. And in fact, uh, you know, he would be very much at risk in any other situation. So. That, that's his story of what we did in that area, but but that last point is, is, is the biggie, and it was very, very clear when we spoke to the, the second lot of planners when the region moved across was that that planner was not relating to his plan as to what was required in the plan. Her whole focus was on that reasonable, necessary support in terms of money. Uh, she was just simply focused on the money, on the financial part of it, and not on the individual plan, and that seems to be a general... Uh, status that comes across from a number of planners, where their, their focus is on money. Uh, she possibly, and I, I believe that she would have come across from the old system, from DHS, where and that that would have been part of the, she, where she sort of been a protector of government money, as opposed to actual planning. So, just rolling on from that that story, uh, we then took, we went, we, we made a whole lot of strategies and changes, and we actually put this, sent them all this information. Uh, do you want me to keep going on this point, George, is that...?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very useful. That's
1: cool. So what actually happened then was that she... Um, we said, no, this is not good. So we went through a whole range of of processes. We went through the local member, who was a, a federal, federal member of parliament, and we identified with him that they had actually not followed process because that's the main way in which you can actually have, a, have, a, have an outcome with, with government. Uh, politicians can't tell the NDS what to do uh, because the legislation is there and they have a job to do, but if the process is not being followed, then that that's where they can come on board and be very very useful. So it was because the process hasn't been followed that we actually then had people from the industry ring us over the next week or so to rectify this. Uh, it took about nine months, and even then, it was it's still not rectified. We're still waiting, uh, having an outcome in in a week or so. But they were still sorting it out. Now, all of that time, I would believe, they had that legislation sitting probably with the legal team trying to work out what to do with it.
0: Very interesting, very interesting.
1: but We're we're hopeful of a good outcome because eventually we got onto the top person in the NDIS who actually met with us and with a planner who was focused on getting what our son required. And we had an acknowledgement that this should now be a two-year plan as opposed to a three-month plan. Mind you, from his first plan, he had three three three-month plans, which is a ridiculous way of working uh, when you're trying to keep your life life on track and you're trying to support your son and you're running through all those little plans that don't give you any consistency at all with staff. Uh, We had intended with the, after the first plan, we said when the second plan comes along and uh, we know that it's secure, we were then going to offer our staff uh, permanency, which we weren't able to do ever. Uh, We still haven't been able to do that and that that in fact has impacted on on actually keeping some of the staff that we would have wanted to have kept because some of them have moved on, because they actually want permanency in their job in, in 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 what they do, but uh, so it, it it's a big picture stuff. But certainly that picking up on those three points in the legislation was pretty important. And and, and
0: uh, it's good that you're an advocate for your son, and I I um I worry about people who don't have that level of um of knowledge and, and involvement that um that that people really need to um yeah speak up for themselves.
1: Absolutely. And it, it's not it's not easy to do that. Um, you know, I, I worry about the two. I'm supporting a number of other people who who are in similar situations and it's 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 just it's just horrible uh, when you see where people are in, are ending up and so on. And uh, uh there's a whole there's a whole story there about advocacy and how that can sort of work. So uh, but even advocates don't necessarily have all of the all of their knowledge as well, and and it tends to sort of appear to we who you can actually pick up on with the NDIS or who you might know or be able to go through, to get someone to come up with an outcome. But
0: it, it, it sounds like critical to critical to the outcome was your ability to put forward a case of reasonable and necessary. Absolutely, Is, Are you able to tell us a bit about how how people can do that, um, in terms of, you know, yeah, the the term being quite a esoteric term really, in that some people might not understand what that means. How, how do you prove to the Industries that um uh funded supports are reasonable and necessary or that it's reasonable and necessary to um live independently as opposed to in a, in a group home? Uh,
1: well, look, I'll give you an example. Let, let me move away from the group home for a minute. I've got a nice little example of that. Uh, I was supporting a lady who uh, who, uh, who was going through a planning session, and in the planning session, uh, this lady has uh, some, She has. she's quite able to, 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 um, to iron her clothes, for example, but she has some difficulty in that if she drops it or if she moves in the wrong direction, she's liable to burn herself very badly. Um, so when we had the planning session, we, we talked to the planner about this, and the planner's initial response was, oh no, look, we, we can't put an iron on, on the list of things because that's not reasonable and necessary. And we said, well, why is it not reasonable and necessary for this lady to have this particular iron, which will we'll we'll give her enable her to have safe practice? And she said, well, everyone has a, an iron, so it's not reasonable and for, necessary for the, for the NDIS to buy one for her. Now, she was coming from the wrong direction she was coming from a direction of looking at what everyone has in a house as opposed to looking at that person's disability. What, we'd, what we had requested for this lady was a more expensive iron. I think it was around about $180. And it was an iron that if, in fact, you had it sitting down on the table, it was actually cold. As soon as she picked it up, it got hot. And you could then actually sort of move it, and you could actually put it over the clothes, and you could, you could iron it for about uh, maybe, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, and then it would cool down again say so you'd give it a rest for a, for a short while and then you'd start right over again. So this meant that this lady could use the sign, she could iron her clothes, she could have some uh, she could have some respect and some uh, uh, s- some capacity to look after herself. Uh, but the planner was focusing on what other people got and had a different view of what reasonable and necessary was as opposed to the act which which talks about uh, there were some bits in there which talks about the bit that I I mentioned, whereas...
0: um... Well, it really has to come back down to the person's functional impairments um, and and, and making sure that, that, that you're clear that if it wasn't for that functional impairment, you wouldn't need that... That's support yeah. yes, I'm sorry
1: you're right and and that, that's exactly that's exactly the same thing in terms of communication devices and iPad there's a whole lit lot of literature on that in fact for some people uh, an iPad is actually a very cheap option for for uh, you know for, for voice output for someone who has no speech because it's actually a cheap option it's only about six hundred dollars plus the app maybe eight hundred dollars whereas a very expensive um, application for speech generated devices can often be up to seven eight ten thousand dollars. Um, so they they really haven't got their head around. So it's it's value for money as well. The, the individual. So yeah. In terms of cost, an iPad is actually quite a reasonable cost to provide for someone, and you sh- they shouldn't be looking at it and saying, "Well, we won't do that because everyone has iPads," because they're missing the whole point of what of what the devices and so on are for. Sure, yeah. sure. They're, they're not iPads for playing games on and so on. They're very. They are specifically uh, voice generated devices that enable people to uh, use uh, use different apps and so on to enable them to have their voice and to interact with, with other people in society.
0: I'd not go back to your um, arrangement with your son. Um, I understand that you have a very individualised arrangement that enables your son to uh, live independently in his own home. Um, and you actually went to the extent of, of setting up your own organisation, is that right? That's correct. And how does that work?
1: uh we set up this organization well before the ndis started um it was based on the his journey and bits and pieces that had happened through him over his life we found that um uh, most providers couldn't provide him with the support that he needed and didn't have any understanding or capacity to do that so the organization it's a non-profit organization it was well uh, putting it simply it was just a matter of registering as a as a as a non-profit organisation, in the same way that you might register a football club or or a cricket club or any any interest group. So it was on those grounds that we registered that in Victoria. uh, We called the organisation Ability, Dignity, Access Management. Um, We initially started off with uh, uh, the committee who were literally, uh, my son was on the committee, myself, my wife, uh, my son's sister, and a community friend. So we had five people who were running this organisation initially. Um, and we were the committee and we were able to function and through that we were able to employ our own staff, staff to support him. We were able to cover insurances and so on through the money that was coming back in. And we had the, uh, we had the financial and the legal status to, to be answerable to all those things. So that, that was back in 19, in 2005. Uh, so when the NDOS actually came in. We were well-placed. We'd already picked up a couple of extra people who had come along just out of interest, uh, and we're now currently supporting about eight people in their homes. Oh, that's fantastic. See, that sounds like you are, you're achieving some good things for lots of people then. Mm, mm. But in supporting those people, we're not we're not looking at going out there and, 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 and saving the world. We have no intent of being a Yoralla or any other large organisation. that just gets big and, and goes beyond the, the capacity to do what they really can do. Uh, our focus is not on providing money for CEOs and uh, and so on, and big office uh, spaces and signs and so on, but we, we only want to support up to uh, a maximum of 10 people. So if we support 10 people, uh, we actually know all of those people individually by name, we know their capacity, we know them to chat to them on a whole range of things, and, uh, and, and we can focus on their needs specifically. If we get beyond that number, uh, they
0: will become just numbers, not people. So my understanding is that you're providing uh, supports, and that means that you um, don't provide SDA, um, and that's, that's important because you don't want the conflict there. Um, what are your thoughts on the SDA policy um, that, that's being rolled out, conscious of the fact that you're speaking at our upcoming conference? On SDA, what are your thoughts on the SDA policy? Does it work? What what do you like most or least about the policy? And uh, what would you like to see changed?
1: Well, when the SDA policy first started, I was aware of uh, at least one lady who I knew of who was able to sort of get her own place and uh, get SDA supports and make make sure that that house was accessible in a whole range of ways for her. And she was living by herself on her own, and that, was, and that policy at that point was fine. It seems to have now taken a shift where there, there is a general push for SDAs to be places where you'll have more than one person living under the one roof or under the one place. And that's something that I really can't, for my, for my person, for my son, and as, a gen, as someone in the community, it's something that I really believe is, is not reasonable and not something that people should be pushed into. It's, it's absolutely fine if someone chooses to have someone living with them and they choose to have someone with or without a disability living as a, someone in their, in their house, that is absolutely fine. But to, when you start uh, pushing financially people you know, on a financial point of view and you say to people, look, you will have to share this house with someone else and then we will give you the SEO funding, that is absolutely wrong because it takes the focus off the individual and what that person could be doing. There are many people who would be saying i just want to live on my own i don't want to live with other people so they should be supported to do that the other point about having sdas or people a uh, number of more than one per one people living in a house for some parents and for some people that might appear to be a good thing but it, it's continuing the status quo of what was there before the ndos actually started and you end up even though it's not a group home or a large a larger facility you, it has the capacity, you end up in the place where you've got, oh, that's the house where, that's the house where those two people in wheelchairs live, uh, it's, it's which is different to saying, oh, that's where Jack and, and Tom live. That's quite different. So so the focus does change. Um,
0: yeah, and, I, and I'm sincere about the fact that um, the whole, the fact that we refer to it as um, specialist, you know, the word specialist already, ring us alarm bells for me, and and then we say, you know, accommodation. I mean, we're talking about housing, right? Like, we we seem to have um, brought into the NDIS a very antiquated uh, terminology um, when we're talking about SDA, Um, and we fought for the NDIS because we wanted something new, something different, and obviously something better, and and that's obviously what you've advocated for for your son. So I I came to um just get your advice then on um what what would you say to other people who are you know embarking on this journey or who um, are, are having some challenges around their plan, and, and getting what they need um. And, and, What have been some of your secrets or tips for getting some good outcomes?
1: My first suggestion would be to actually do some pre-planning. Now it's interesting in that people seem to think of an NDIS plan as the plan of what was given to you and and this is what you're going to base your life on. with my son, what we've actually found useful all the time is we do some pre-planning, we have a discussion with him and we work out what he wants in life. So the goals is something that we uh, we hadn't actually been focused on years ago. We were just working from day to day, so the goals in the industry is a very pow- positive and a very powerful thing. So it's important that uh, that people actually know what their goals are and they actually, they can they can work on goals, some which may be achievable, some which might take even a little bit longer. So for my son, he has difficulty in a whole range of things. For one, of the, so some of the goals he may never achieve them, but they're still goals that he work towards. Because whilst you're taking, you're aiming for big steps. If you take smaller steps, you may not necessarily get there, but you'll be in a far better place next time. So, it's that pre-planning and goals that you work through, and the other part in that planning is that you you need to think outside the square, uh, think of what not necessarily is, but what might be, and part of that. Part of that journey, from from my perspective, is looking at what everyone else in the community does and basing what you want for yourself or for your son or for your child or for your brother and sister with their, you know, in discussion, based on what everyone else in the community does. Um, because of that, that's the starting point. What does everyone else do on a day-to-day basis? What are the things that they enjoy? If you say, what am I missing out on, you may not even... You might not even get to the stage of realising that there are things out there that you can even consider. Um, I remember when we, my son moved into an area where he currently lives, uh, I went down and I met with a lady uh, in a community house because our focus for him and his focus had been on community-based activities because they're much more powerful than group activities. They're things in what other people do. In group homes, for example, they're in, sorry, in, in community houses Uh, They do things like uh, they have get-togethers, they have film nights, they have walking groups, they have uh, common interest groups and so on. But we went down and met this lady and uh, she knew why we were coming. And the first thing she said to me, she said, Liz, I know why you're here, she said, but I have to tell you, in this area we have nothing for people with disabilities. So I paused for a second and then I said to her, that's okay, just tell me what you have for everyone else.
0: Yes, absolutely. And
1: isn't that isn't that the
0: problem that there is that that there is that, that view that if you have a disability that what you need is different or special or in some way a, 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 not part of what other people would want to do?
1: That's true. And, and to this lady's uh, to 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 her credit, she immediately got it. And and so that that's actually that's actually captured the life of where he is now, so but all of that is documented and put together, uh, and the last one. So in fact, I I actually almost take disability out of the equation when I'm exploring the options in in, in that regard. So this became the focus of a of a document that we started putting together. It was initially uh, probably you know only a couple of pages. As part of that documentation, you also work out how are you going to do these things. So if you're going to talk about um, if you're going to talk about communication and supporting someone to communicate, then what are the things you might do with that? So, what are the, what are some of the outcomes? Uh, some of the outcomes it might be if the person uh, likes writing and, and likes language, for example, it might be it might be. And I'm going to write a book this year. Or I'm going to join a writing group, uh, or a very simple one. Um, I'm just going to go into the forest or into the areas of of the country where I where I really love being, and I'm going to come back to my home with lots of ideas. So. These things have all been documented and put down, so that when we actually had our planning meeting, this was the information we gave to the to the planner at the NDIS. But I had actually also gone the next stage further, which is probably not an easy task. But that was I, I managed to get a hold of the uh, of the line items from the NDIS, so I had a pretty good idea of where that was all sitting, and I understood the costs. I understood what the costs were per hour because we we're working with our own organisation. We also had a bit of a, we also had not a bit, we had a very good idea of what it was going to cost. So let's just think of a figure. Let's say if the, if the final cost was going to be, say, say $178,000, that might have been what we knew that we were, we were aiming for. If when the plant came back, if it was $100,000 $100, less, we then had a document that we could then challenge, not challenge, but actually go back to the NDS and, and, and go for a review of review and just, just say, look, the information we have given you. Is not right. This is not based on the information that we gave you. So that 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 gives you a really very powerful document to to work on that review capacity. If that fails, as you're probably aware, the next step, of course, might be the uh, might be to go to the tribunal. That same document is equally powerful to go to the tribunal because once they saw that, they would have they would have to ask the NDS the question, Why did you ignore this?
0: Because um, it will come down to then reasonable and necessary uh, value for money yep, yep. and um, you know, it's a positive person to um, yeah you know, be part of the community and yeah you know, not not placing the unreasonable um, you know requirements on, yep. on unpaid informal supports and all those things I, I,
1: absolutely but it, but it's also the conversation that you have so 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 it has to be a positive conversation and it also but it also has to be um, a collaborative decision making that's one of the things that we learned. Uh, my son went into a regular school he moved from a uh, he moved from a, a day training center which was totally segregated. He moved from there at the age of uh, about thirteen years old and he went into his regular school with full support from the education department. Now that wasn't an easy road, but that whole that whole journey and this was with another organization that we'd started years ago that whole journey was based on collaboration, talking to the people that we were working with understanding how people can become victims or people can become supporters and working through that whole process of working collaboratively together to come up with a decision. That, that's where the NDIS doesn't quite, or the planners, some planners, don't get that. There, let me say there are some fabulous planners in the NDIS and there are some who just need a lot more training and don't get it. And there, but there are some who have come from the old system will never ever get it because their whole mindset is based on the, on, the, uh, on the lowest common denominator.
0: Yeah, and I think you've given some excellent advice there. Uh, do your research, pre-plan, uh, documentation, have it all written down? And I, I think I'd also add to that the importance of talking to others who've been through that journey, which is sort of why I like to um, have people like you on that program because I think that we can learn a lot for each other in, in, uh, in yeah, effectively understanding what can work and what what, um, what we might need to do to achieve what we need.
1: Cool, no, absolutely. Can I just come back a few steps? Um, we talked about the SEAs before. Can I just reflect on a little bit of that in the ndos as well? Sure, yes. Um, but part of the journey too with the... The SDA In fact, we, we we do have a couple of people who are living in two separate units, so this is a model that's actually working well for them. And and this model is uh, is these two units are going to go under the SDA where they'll get additional supports to ensure that that that, that uh, the supports will be ongoing and so on in this house. Now, one of the people moving into this house had a planning session, and uh, regrettably the planner who was working with this uh, this individual thought that. Um, Uh, actually thought they were talking about SILS which is supported independent living, which is a model that they use for people with intellectual disabilities, and that's where they bundle a whole lot of people together. And uh, it was the wrong planning approach. But the planner actually got in touch with me uh, several weeks after the meeting, and she asked me... uh, if I could put a quote in for SILs. And I said, well, we don't do SILs because it's not what uh, our organisation believes in as being uh, being appropriate for people. It's not what we do. And she was insistent. So I said, OK, send me the details on SILs and I'll have a look. So she sent me the details and it was a dot-by-dot dot, uh, spreadsheet, if you like, of what happens during the day when people go out and what people do and what they don't do and so on. And I said, well, I can't... Uh, I'm not going to put a quote in based on that. I'll just simply put the quote in, as I always have done, and base it on the the home help uh, support during the day and the evenings and the uh, social and community uh, activities that people might be involved in which is what we've done with with our son and with other people and i put a quote based on that just for support staff to assist uh, him to work to, to this, this person to, this lady to live in the in this unit that had already been set up i received a phone call a week later from somewhere from the ndis from uh, from the top area who actually asked me the questions he said Why is your quote so cheap? (laughs) Now that that was bizarre because that to me, it sounded like it. It almost sounded like a lot of soul quotes that come in are very very expensive, and I can see why that would be. When you start looking at you know we're going to factor in every second of everyone's life, it does become expensive. But it actually goes over the top. Um, It's far cheaper for people to focus on the aspects of home support and social and community access. They then come into these houses, wherever the house might be, and it might be an SDA, it might be anywhere, might be it might just be a a flat that they might choose to rent somewhere, or or a house down the road that they've got at the proper rent, or it might be a community house. Um, My son lives in a house which actually is community community house based, so he pays 25% of his rent. So, uh, sorry, he pays 25% of his of his pension. So that means the other 75% of his pension can actually go on things like uh, electricity and. uh, you know, living expenses and food and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that to him is a far better outcome. Whereas people who get caught up in this other notion, and I'm flipping back to the SILs because this is just one of the things that, that, that there are sort of parallels that go through there. The, the Sills funding is not necessarily based on giving people a life outside of their uh, outside of their of their home, and I, and from what I'm hearing, some of the SDA funding options might be very, very similar, and they may not have the option. To do the things that they might really want to do every day of their lives. Some people have had have had support through whether it's SILS or SDA, and they're only they're only allowed, for example, uh, one day a week to go out shopping,
0: mm, which is not right because that's not what the NDIS was about. It was about uh, community and social um, and like economic participation. Yeah, all those. Although those things that are enshrined in the yep, yep. which is why I, I will always tell people to go back to the NDIS Act, because it's it's all there. It's, it's all, Of course. It's all enshrined. Yep, and, and
1: and and this approach they they also this this is where it's, it's quite disturbing in that, in that it's being based not so much on what people really want and what they need in their lives. Uh, but it's based on, not on the expectations of them and being able to be individuals, but based on how much money can we save and, and, and so on. Um, so that it, one's got to be very careful of that. It sounds like you've uh, had some great outcomes for, for your
0: son and, and for your family. Uh, is there, um, I know you've given us some tips, but is there a final message you want to leave on? Yeah, final message, final words of Blazer's wisdom.
1: Well, and this is not something that everyone could do, but I, I guess I think looking, I think certainly, looking at what could be as opposed to what is is probably a good way of, of defining where your life might go. Looking at what you may wish to do in your life, and basing it on what everyone else does as a starting point will give people cues as to what might they might be able to do, and and going on the basis that. Uh, uh, i like guess as, as a parent um you're told at a very early age when, when you when you' when your child is, is usually diagnosed at an early age that, that that the expectations are sort of fairly low and it's very hard to leap out of that hurdle and to come to the next step up so I think looking outside the square and having having some some confidence that you can sort of move forward and and, and give someone and give your your child a far better lie through supporting that individual that person sorry to um to, 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 to maximise the capacity in many ways is far more powerful than just accepting their status quo. I
0: think that's an excellent point to end it on. So thank you so much for your time, Les. Thank you, George. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Reasonable and Necessary, brought to you by the Summer Foundation. Check out our Facebook page, which is at Building Better Lives. You can find our previous podcasts and transcripts. We also really love hearing from you, so please leave your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Until next time, stay well and reasonable.